Welcome to Hold Up, the podcast where we watch your favorite rom-coms and decide whether they hold up. I'm Carrie Gilbert. I'm Allison Gilbert. And this week we watched Bachelorette, which came out in 2012 and stars Kirsten Dunst, Lizzie Kaplan, and Isla Fisher um, in the main roles with supporting work from James Marsden, Adam Scott, Rebel Wilson, and Dowd. Great. Did you say James Marsden? Yeah, I said him first. Oh, okay. Um, Hayes MacArthur, wanna... the Elpo dog guy. Mm-hmm, sure, yeah, he's a real okay. name, but he's a guy from those dog food commercials. Um, we do want to give a trigger warning at the beginning. We are going to be discussing um, some pretty heavy eating disorder, eating disorder. Um, disordered eating, bulimia, also drug use and overdose. Um, so, if any of those are not things you want to hear about um this is not the episode for you yeah um so it is despite that trigger warning a funny movie (laughs) yes yeah this movie is dark this is um definitely a dark comedy um as i think i would say a lot of leslie headland's work is um, i was just gonna say we forgot it yes. holds a 56% on Rotten Tomatoes and is and is written and directed by Leslie Headland based on a play that she wrote yes. based on her play. Um, um, we we've, have we've talked about her in the past when we did Sleeping with Other People. She also wrote is the creator of the series Russian Doll, which was sort of like the much talked about series a couple of years ago now, I think. I feel like uh, just pre-pandemic. Yeah. Um so this sticks, this is, carries a lot of the same themes that she always kind of explores in her work, um, sort of broken, troubled people and the way that they hurt themselves and each other and what that means for their relationships, both romantic and platonic. Um, and there's a lot to unpack here. Um, yeah. Is this a rom-com? I feel like. No. I mean, there are moments, but I think the rom part of it the romantic storylines are very secondary to the friendship storylines and also just like the personal like interpersonal stuff yeah Um, it's about these three women dealing with the fact that their friend from high school played by rebel wilson is i think like on the surface they're dealing with the fact that she's getting married first and is fat and so they deem her less worthy of love and happiness but it's also like she's not just getting married she's getting married to a handsome man who's really good to her and loves her she's and is happy wealthy and is wealthy she's she's like getting all these things they want yeah or at least as particularly kirsten dunst wants um but i think on some level all three of them want and time out let's back up let's set the stage so because you're dumb you're starting to unpack without like giving a whole lot of backstory here i was saying so- what the premise of the movie is Well, but like, so Kirsten Dunst, Lizzie Kaplan, Isla Fisher, Rebel Wilson were a foursome in high school. They were best friends, but Rebel Wilson, as is typical in high school relationships, Rebel Wilson was sort of like at the bottom of their friendship hierarchy. Kirsten Dunst is, I think it's fair to say the queen bee. Um, And then Rebel Wilson is sort of like at the bottom of their hierarchy because she is... the probably the least conventionally attractive she is um 
heavier than the other three. The other three are, as I'm sure you know, like very Hollywood thin. Um, I think to compare to another Lizzie Kaplan movie, <laughs> Kirsten Dunst is the Regina George. Yes. Lizzie Kaplan is the more selfish. Lizzie Kaplan is if um, Janice Ian had been one of the mean girls. <laughs> She's not yes. as like deferential to Kirsten Dunst as uh, uh, Gretchen Wieners is. But she has the Gretchen Wieners space. Isla Fisher is uh, the perfect um, Amanda Seyfried. I can't remember the character's yes. name. And Rebel Wilson is the Katie Heron. Yes, this very much feels like um, a if Mean Girl, like Mean Girls, fifteen years later with like some darkness, some real darkness. Um, so anyway, so Rebel Wilson, like Allison said, Rebel Wilson is getting married. She's asked all three of them to be in her wedding, and none Kirsten of Dunst their, is the maid of honor. Yes, and the three of them, none of their lives have quite turned out the way that they expected, and particularly Kirsten Dunst is very much the. I did everything the way I was supposed to. I went to college. She said she says as much. She went to college. She got a she's dating a doctor. She's remained beautiful by a um a pretty profound eating disorder. She's managed to keep herself thin. Um and yet her friend who she was not always kind to in high school is getting all of the things she dreamed for herself. And so she is having to reckon with the fact that the book of lies she's been sold is in fact, or the bill of goods she's been sold is in fact a book of lies. Um, and she's been lied to. Um, that would have been even so, more chilling if you hadn't uh, stumbled over it up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Still thought it was great. Yes. So I think one of the things that we should, or one of the places we should start is that the protagonist of the movie, Kirsten Dunst, and the other two leads, Isla Fisher and Lizzie Kaplan, are very broken people. And Kirsten Dunst, in particular, is not a very good or kind person all the time. Um, she has her moments where she's a good friend and she's loyal, but she overall is not very kind. And the, and sort of the like antics of the movie start because the three. Um, the two bridesmaids and the maid of honor are making fun of Rebel Wilson behind her back, and two of them are trying to fit into her wedding dress, and they to tag it. And, and so on, then, to tag her on Facebook, in they're trying to put two women in right. the wedding dress to then publicly tag Rebel Wilson in, to then like yes. publicly make fun of yes. how large her wedding dress is. Yes, um, and they rip it, and then proceed to also get blood and semen and other things on it um blood on it because their nose because isla fisher's nose is bleeding from all the cocaine she's done this is a right. drug fueled farce yes it has like a layer of darkness obviously but it is at its like the reason i think it's so well written is that it's just about these women trying to fix this wedding dress and all of the you know, it has a very simple, like, what do they want? They want to fix this wedding dress. And then all of the antics that happen on top of it. And it's all colored by how damaged these three women are. And I will yes. say, I don't feel like we've talked about this in a while, but it certainly comes up with this movie that like point of view is very important when they are trying to fit in that dress and talking about tagging her on Facebook, the butt of that joke the butt of their joke is Rebel Wilson. The movie's commentary is look how 
cruel these women are being. The point of view of the yes. movie and the point of view of our main characters are different. And that's important. If the movie's point of view was like, look how funny these three women are being to their fat friend, it would be unwatchable. But that's not what the point of view of this movie is. No. And it's interesting that we were watching this like sort of like right after we watched America's Sweethearts where we felt like America's Sweethearts, like the point of view of the movie was like Catherine Zeta-Jones is a bitch and John Cusack is like our tragic hero when like if you take a step back, it really particularly nowadays feels like that's so backwards. Whereas this movie is doing quite the opposite where this movie is saying like, you're not supposed to like these three women. You're supposed to, in certain instances, feel sympathy and empathy for them and understand that they are broken, but you are not supposed to want to emulate them. You're not supposed to relate to their meanness. Um, It's really, she, like, there is a heightened level to which these, particularly Kirsten Dunst, is as awful as she is so that we can see, so that there is, the movie and Leslie Headland, like through the movie can make a commentary about like what this woman's expectations for herself are and what has actually like happened in reality. And what the greater expectations are for women on the whole. I think right. the reason they're watchable, I hope to God, I'm not like any of these women are to Rebel Wilson to my own friends, but I also understand their neuroses. I understand their problems. Mm -hmm. I get why they are the way they are. And I think this movie is saying, you know, we are all victims of all American women are victims of this same like culture based on that has a very specific ideal of what we're supposed to look like and what we're supposed to be by the time we hit 30. And if you're not aware of that and you're not aware of the ways it's being sold to us and you're not aware of what you actually want, then you are at risk of becoming one of these terrible people. There's a really good line about Kirsten Dunst at the end. I can't remember if it's said by like, I think it's said by Lizzie Kaplan. Um, And it says, she said it's after she's like, just like fix the entire way. Like we'll get there. But Lizzie Kaplan says that woman is fucked in the head, but she's a good friend. I was like, that's yes. really good. And then there's a moment that really sums it up is like, like right before Rebel Wilson's supposed to go down the aisle, Kirsten Dunst like gives her this pep talk. And she, I think like sort of the relation, the understanding we get of the Rebel Wilson, Kirsten Dunst relationship is that Kirsten Dunst at times was horrible to Rebel Wilson and remains horrible to her at times, particularly behind her back. But she doesn't let anybody else talk shit about Rebel Wilson. Like she is also Rebel Wilson's protector in a way. And so like in high school, when people would be cruel to Rebel Wilson, Kirsten Dunst would like build her back up. And I'm not saying that that excuses any of her behavior, but like that because is Because just- she also let Rebel Wilson for decades take the fall for her own eating disorder because it's right. acceptable for fat We'll get women. there. <laughs> we'll get there. So yes, like, and I'm just explaining the dynamic. I'm not excusing the dynamic. Yes, yes, but no, there's this, there's a scene at the end where she's once again, like she tells Rebel Wilson, the thing she's always told Rebel Wilson to say to herself is like, fuck everyone, right? Like, fuck everyone. You deserve this. You're worthy, whatever. And so she gives her this pep talk, gets her down the aisle. And Rebel Wilson says like, well, aren't you, you're the maid of honor. Like, aren't you going to go down the aisle? And she says, no, I have vomit on me. Like she is incredibly like vain, self-centered selfish person who has these moments of like profound loyalty the moment i love like that is when the florist arrives with rebel wilson's bouquet and it's the wrong flowers 
And the mother and Rebel Wilson is sort of just like, or her mother is like, they're still beautiful. And Rebel Wilson like looks to Kirsten Dunst, who then turns to the florist and is like, fuck you. Here's what we ordered. You're going to go get her the goddamn right flowers and explains to the florist how he's going to make her this bouquet. And it's like, is she horrible to this person? Yes. But also like on your wedding day, you want your maid of honor to be the type of person who's when you need something done, gets it done. Like, right. On your wedding day, if your flowers were fucked up, I also would have yelled at the florist. Like, I also hope I wouldn't have had to, uh, you know, manually gag anyone to throw up at the same time. But there are things that happen on a wedding day that you want your maid of honor to take care of. Kirsten Dunst is so good in this role. That character is so well written because she is that character whose worth comes from feeling stressed, busy and important. Like she needs to be needed. She needs to feel important. She needs to feel in control. And that's how it's like, she's like such a victim of capitalism. And if like, I'm not constantly working, then I'm not worthy. And if I'm not like needed and important, then I'm not worthy. And it's a really well written version of that character. And Kirsten Dunst is so good in it. Yes. And also, I also think it's really interesting casting because it's not, how we think of Kirsten Dunst. Kirsten Dunst for much of her career has been sort of like the good girl, sweet girl, like the virgin suicides. Yes. There's not a whole lot of edge to her. And then virgin suicides, it says she, but in a different way. <laughs> right. She's but I just innocent. mean like she, she is the ingenue. I mean, her for like one of her very first roles was as was in, um, not the vampire diaries. Little women. Um, well, no, but I'm talking about what the fuck is the movie with um, Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt where they're vampires, <laughs> oh. not vampire um, diaries. You know what I mean? Anyway, my yeah, oh, something whatever. Vampire. Anyway, like interview with a vampire. Interview with a vampire. She just. I was plays going my week very, with the vampire. <laughs> like right, my week with Marilyn. It's right, one of those. Um, she is the ingenue. She is the wholesome, naive, innocent, and and we've seen her like that since she was. 10 and so right, then it's like, to like stick her in this is so different and it almost take it's like almost jarring like it takes a minute and I was watching with Jeff and Jeff was like I don't know how I feel about this Kirsten Dunst but by the end because her performance is so Dunst. good he was like he totally was like buying into it and I think that that it's really interesting casting in that way I think everybody else in this is is cast in a way that we're used to seeing them um except for her which i think yeah i think that's like, true i think rebel wilson is a little like more understated than we're used to like rebel wilson is not the comedic yes. driver of this movie which i think is rare for a rebel wilson joint right yes i agree um i also don't think to be fair we knew i, I bridesmaids came out in 2011 this came out in 2012 i wouldn't be surprised if she was cast um, and this movie was filmed before Bridesmaids came out. So I think yeah, Rebel Wilson hadn't like hit in the same way where we were like, and she is still funny. She's just, she's just much more understated. Yeah. Yes. Like the comedic driver of this movie is, well, everyone, everyone is funny, but like is Isla Fisher and Lizzie Kaplan. Yeah. Yeah. Isla Fisher. I, there, I mean, I said while I was watching this, like, I, she needs more work. She is so fucking funny. I wouldn't be surprised. So vulnerable and sad at some point. 
so good. Yes. This, this I would watch her to do so much. And I, I would I, watch a two hour movie of her and Andrew Reynolds in that fucking club Monaco or banana Republic, wherever the fuck they're supposed to work dressing women and making fun of them behind their back. Like I would watch that movie. Cause this movie also has a, a young Andrew Reynolds before anyone outside Broadway knew what he could do. It's just, they're so funny. Yes. Well, and, and her interactions with her romantic interest, I mean, there's just, there's a real sadness to like how she thinks of herself and how she views herself and her worth and her value. But then at the same time, she's, she has many of the best lines in this movie. Um, yeah. There's a moment we were talking about before we started recording where it's revealed Lizzie Kaplan for the first, like. 45 minutes of this movie there's like something unspoken between her and her high school boyfriend Adam Scott and there's some sort of like secret that no one's saying and then at one point in the movie Kirsten Dunst reveals it in anger and says like you uh never need me until you need me like when I had to drive you to your abortion and it's revealed that she had to have this abortion and Adam Scott didn't show up for it and that's like what's caused a problem between them for the last two years and it's this like it's this like heavy moment and Isla Fisher just very quietly goes you guys planned an abortion without me <laughs> it's the most relatable line and because if I found out my two best friends planned an abortion without me in high school I would be hurt like the FOMO I would feel from not being included on that in that moment right yes yeah and again it just speaks to sort of like again like her place in this hierarchy and the way that she has like learned to value herself it's all it's just it's really like kind of subtle but good performance um and I just I I love her in this um all of them. I mean, even Lizzie Kaplan, like, I think she, she's doing a lot of really interesting kind of movement between really closed off and broken and hard. There's a hardenedness to her and then vulnerability as well. I mean, I think that that's, what's so interesting about this movie is that these in turn, you get to see each of these women sort of inside what makes them terrible. And I, and I think that this was, this movie was made at a time where we really didn't, hadn't seen that yet. I mean, this, this comes out around the same time as girls, which I, and, um, you know, a post sex in the city world where we, where we see these really kind of like awful women um I do think that there's something very like they're starting to feel something like dated about this movie because it's I think it's women the way they are like why what makes women behave badly right and there and there's I I think you know we explore why men behave badly all the time without question and so we should be doing the same for for women but there's something sort of like quintessentially like white woman experience about this movie Mm -hmm. um you know we don't in media or in life like black women do not have the freedom to behave the way these women act and get away with it these women get a great deal of um space to be horrible in a way that non-white women do not get and so yes um, this is years before insecure (laughs) Yes. Yes. This is, um, and this in that is instance, very... I don't even think the women of insecure are quite as horrible as these women no. are the women of girls, but it, they are 
women making mistakes and fucking up and and you know it has the same sort of idea of like how we mess up right um yes I mean this feels very much in the tradition of of girls which was also like came out around the same time I like this better than girls I, think I was gonna this say is a far more successful version of that but I do I do want to acknowledge that there is that it that it is beginning to feel dated, particularly in our current conversations about whiteness and white womanness and the power that white womanness yields Gives and you. what and what we do with that and the space to act this way and who gets that privilege. I will say because you brought up Sex in the City and Girls, this movie I think does what Sex in the City had no awareness of. This movie accomplishes what Sex in the City never even tried to, which was an acknowledgement of why three quarters of their characters were awesome justice for samantha and what girls i think at its best did but often failed at like i think and i haven't ever done a rewatch of girls but i think there are some episodes where you get where you get sort of this thing where it had an awareness of its characters failings and then there were some episodes where you were like, I don't know that you do have the awareness of, right. I don't know that you are sort of grasping. Whereas I, I don't think there's ever a moment in this movie um, where that's not like a through line. Now, to be fair, you know, girls had to do it over six years and this movie only has to maintain it for two hours. And there's a variety of different reasons why, and we can do a whole separate breakdown of the way the ways girls succeeded and the many ways it failed, which is not what this podcast episode is about. But I do think the success in this movie is it's continuing awareness of why these women behave the way they do. And there's no excuse or forgiveness of it. There's well, and also the acknowledgement of the fact that like, they are not happy people. No, like, like behaving this way, going after ruthlessly the things that you want or the things that you think you want will not result in happiness. Um, Belittling your friend who you think is below you and being horrible to her will not make you happy. And they're like from the very beginning. I mean, I think Kirsten Dunst first acknowledges that she's fucking miserable, like in the first 15 minutes. And then we see it like consistently throughout that these are not happy people. And, and the, triggering nature of their uh friend who they have deemed unworthy of happiness because of the way she looks her getting everything like triggers these women in a way that is and that's the premise of the movie you're then watching them play out their unbelievable disbelief that a a woman they don't think is worthy of love and happiness has got it and she did it without being thin or being what they deem the correct type of beautiful like that's the message of this movie is not in any way saying look at these horrible women's lives it's saying like look at what we believe all inherently somehow believe who is worthy of happiness right and they can't you're right they can't make rebel wilson unhappy down with them she's living her best life right we also, I mean, I think the other thing that the movie does really well is that, like, the men who are good get re- rewarded. Like, the men who are good end up happy at the end. And James Marsden, who is not a good man, like, like there's no forgiveness of him. He is. I mean, he, he and Kirsten a- Dunst. Sorry, finish. 
he continues but like but like we don't he he doesn't get changed by like some interaction with Kirsten Dunst he doesn't get he there's no growth really I mean he ends up with like the the younger sister at the end of the movie like fucking the younger sister at the end of the movie like and then smacked in the head with a teapot by Lizzie Kaplan. right it's great yes like he gets like and meanwhile because he has provided the drugs the, that led to the, Isla Fisher's overdose. The Joe, who is sort of like the most good of the men, um, is oh I think Adam Scott is complicated. <laughs> yeah. I would, I mean, again, I think I said this in some other movie we watched, but like I give Adam Scott a lot of fucking grace because he's Adam Scott, um, but. But I do think, but he, in much the same way that we do with the women, like we begin to see why Adam Scott is broken and Mm -hmm. he's not like somebody I would wish on any of my girlfriends necessarily, but there, he is a much more nuanced character, I think, than any of the other men are like Joe and James Marsden. And I apologize, the character of Joe. I don't know who that act, what that actor's name is. He's the guy from the dog food commercials. Right. Yeah. I mean, I've seen him in like tons of shit, but they are sort of like of the spectrum like joe is the quintessential good guy who does not have sex with isla fisher when she won't rape isla fisher despite james marston encouraging him to rape isla fisher exactly so like we've got the spectrum and then adam scott i think is a far more sort of three-dimensional nuanced character where we get a little bit more insight into why he is the way he is well and they all end up with who they deserve like james marsden does not grow and change in this movie but to be fair and one of the things i like about this movie is neither really does kirsten dunst no in that last scene where they're dancing she says fuck you call me like she is not leaving this wedding a better person than she came into it for us we've made we've just learned about her whereas isla fisher i have some hope that you know she's gonna you know stop with the drugs and not overdose as much and get some therapy and some self-esteem because the scene where she's basically like telling him he can have sex with her. And he's like, you are so wasted. I don't even think you know what you're saying yes to. And also like, you don't even know my name. Like why? And she's just like, but I'm offering it to you. This is what you want. This is what is supposed to happen. Like she's clearly just a woman that does not have any self-worth like her it seems like her choices to sleep with people is never like a choice. It's just like, I've come to this point of the night and this is what's supposed to happen. Men are now supposed to have sex with me and I'll give them what they want. There's no like active choice or joy in having sex. And it seems like Joe, the dog food commercial guy is the first man to ever be like, but what do you want? Like, I'm not going to do that because that doesn't sound fun for anyone. And also like, what do you want out of this situation? Right. And so I would hope that for Isla Fisher's character, I'm going to hope that there that there is some sort of awakening in this and that she changes. She also then overdoses in Kirsten Dunn's test. To, um, it's a great, uh, a great like bookend to the bulimia story is that Kirsten Dunn knows exactly how to get her to throw up because as she says herself, I did it to myself for years, leading to the line uh, Joe says of why would you do this to yourself? And she says, because I want it to be beautiful, which is supposed to, I think, be funny. And I started crying I was like oh I like and it's not saying like and she achieved it it's not saying like bulimia is the way to be beautiful but she is explaining why someone would actively make themselves throw up because she thought it's what she had to do to be beautiful mm-hmm. anyway that just I just ran like three different thoughts into themselves but Isla Fisher's character I think 
we have hope for Lizzie Kaplan and Adam Scott have finally sort of had the fight. They haven't like have had the conversation they haven't had for a decade, which is her saying, why don't you show up to the abortion and him saying, because it was too sad. No, I would argue Adam Scott, that it was probably pretty sad for her too. And maybe you should have boned up and done it anyway. But I think again, like, I think that again, like, I think that is a really profound scene because again, I think the movie is trying to point to the fact that like that is a level of privilege like men have the privilege or you know the person who is not pregnant um has the privilege to say like I'm gonna opt out of participating in this procedure because it's too sad for me whereas the person who is who is pregnant doesn't have that privilege and and I think that that's a really profound way to acknowledge that experience and and the privilege inherent in that experience and I think that that's that's something that's often lost in the conversation about abortion is that like oftentimes the people legislating around abortion or are not the people are the people who get to opt out of ever having to have that thought or or like participate yeah um and and again, because Adam Scott is as good an actor as he is, I, well, recognizing like the cowardness in that, I also like see his vulnerability in it. And, There's something and, empathetic to it. It is yes. sad. Right. And um, how nice would it be if Lizzie Kaplan had had that same choice or right. if Kirsten Dunn's character, I mean, I guess Kirsten Dunn's character did have that choice, but she showed up and Adam Scott didn't. And so we can say, and we will criticize many, many things about Kirsten Dunn's character, but at the end of the day, she showed up when he wouldn't. Right. And Lizzie Kaplan didn't get the choice. And I, you're right. I don't think the movie is denying any of those realities. Right. Yeah. Um, Is Kirsten Dunn's throwing it in Lizzie Kaplan's face a decade later? Yes. Um, But she she showed up. Right. She planned it. Poor Isla Fisher didn't even get to have part of the planning. <laughs> um, James Marsden plays such a good fucking creep. I don't think we talk about what a good creep. Like, I actually did. think Adam Scott's sweet spot in acting is this character. I think he yes. plays a really nice um, Ben on Parks and Rec. I really liked him in Sleeping with Other People when he is closer to the James Marston character. But my favorite brand of Adam Scott is this in Party Down, where it's like, oh, you're kind of, you're a little bit of both. Like, I'm attracted to you, but maybe you're not a great guy. And James Marston plays such a good piece of shit. Yeah, we talked about James Marston when we did 27 Dresses. And I I haven't listened to that. Not my favorite James Marston. Right. I think, and I, I had thought about re-listening to our 27 dresses conversation or re-looking at my notes coming into this conversation, because I'm fairly certain that we both felt like that, that version of James Marsden is not what we want to see. It's kind of like hopeless romantic John Cusack and serendipity. Like it's, it's not, doesn't quite work. Like James Marsden needs, and I think what we said about him when we saw 27 dresses is I had heard somebody say about Brad Pitt that he is a character actor trapped in a leading man's body. And I feel similarly about James Marsden. Oh, I feel like that's even more true of James Marsden. Yes. James Marsden is not my favorite when he is in the leading man role. I love his performances when he gets to be 
goofy or campy or awful or yeah it's like this enchanted and dead to me that's the james marston yes or into the woods like i didn't love into the woods but i thought james marston was fantastic in it like was he cinderella's prince yes yeah then who was chris pine no he wasn't them confused maybe i did pine was cinderella's you're right you're right but james marston and he would play a great cinderella's prince where he gets to be sort of like over the top and ridiculous and play with sort of like all the tools in his toolbox when he just has to be like the hot straight guy straight man like i don't mean straight like like not queer i just mean like straight not funny or not not funny right not 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 the character actor you're getting his character in in enchanted and cinderella's prince mixed up because the character in enchanted i've never thought this before but has to be whoever wrote that movie had a knowledge of of fairy tales yeah and into the woods is a is a take on fairy i think his character from enchanted is probably directly pulled from into the woods and steven sondheim might want to seek some royalties yeah yeah but i do i think that this this is a fantastic performance from James Morrison. It's very, it's in, it's very similar to his dead to me performance. This is, I, I love him in this. I think he is fantastic. I mean, I don't love like the character character is an actual date rapist. He gives Joe drugs to, he, for, and Joe's like, I'm not drugging this woman who has already drunk and done a lot of Coke and weed. Like she doesn't need anything else. And he's like, no, they're for you. Also, take drugs like basically he's just like get as trashed as her so that you can take advantage of her without feeling guilty about it and then when she later uh takes all those xanax and overdoses um it's his fault and that's why lizzie kaplan hits him over the head with a full teapot and then walks out of the room it's and then steals his phone because her phone uh got thrown out the window and kirsten dunce tells her to go find okay she kirsten dunce is like get a new phone it's like seven o'clock in the morning and lizzie kaplan says where and she goes i don't give a fuck steal one and then she does (laughs) It's great. Like the plot of this movie is so the like little things are so like tie back to other things. And it's it's so, it's so, it's so good. It's such good writing. I'm not being articulate, but. No, I mean, I do think um, uh, Leslie Headland is a fantastic writer there. I mean, she is doing things that are so smart and so interesting. I mean, I think Russian doll is like one of the smartest pieces of television I've seen in a really long time. Like it is just, she no, she does, she leaves no sort of like plot line untied up. Every, everything sort of reaches back to something else. There, and I think that's what I inarticulately said is like every little, you think when Kirsten Dunst tells her to steal a phone, it's just a throwaway until she steals a phone. Like right. everything is important there not there is not a line that isn't important or used later right or does something to further the development of that character yeah i will say you know and again maybe it's because like i said this this concept is beginning to feel dated but this is this movie i find enormously funny i do leslie headland does a really nice job she is quite good in in her other works of creating an arc and a growth in her characters that we don't see, particularly in the Kirsten Dunst character. I think we do get some in the in the supporting characters, but not in Kirsten Dunst. And I'm not sure that I really want it. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that it's not unintentional. 
no, I agree. Like, I think it would have come off as disingenuine, but there is also an extent to which I think that is why this movie begins to feel dated in a way is because again, like we're now at a point where it's like that, that behavior is only so funny, you know? And I, and again, I think it's helped by all the supporting characters around her. I also think other things. Sorry. No, no, a long pause. I thought you were done. I'm sorry. I don't know. I don't know quite how to wrap up what I was saying. So go ahead. I think what you do get is a reversal of the power dynamic between her and Rebel Wilson. I, I think you're right. I think we don't, Kirsten Dunst does not become a better person by the end of this movie. But there's a scene where at very early in the morning where Rebel Wilson has woken up and Kirsten Dunst is in her bathroom. Um, and she's trying not to tell her that her dress is destroyed. Um, and she doesn't know where Lizzie Kaplan is who has the dress and has fixed it. Um, where Rebel Wilson gives her the speech and reveals that they got caught in the bathroom in high school um, and Kirsten Dunst was going to get in trouble for uh, throwing up in the bathroom and Rebel Wilson took the fall. And it's a very loaded scene, partially because what's revealed is that Rebel Wilson stood up and said, it was me. I was, I was the one who was making myself throw up. Everyone believes it. Everyone is then, there's no indication that Rebel Wilson then got in the trouble that Kirsten Dunst would have because it's okay. It's, it's more acceptable for fat women to engage in disordered eating behavior behaviors because obviously they're supposed to want to be thin. Often it's prescribed disordered eating behavior behaviors are just prescribed to fat women by medical professionals because so deeply it's believed that they should try and be thin. So there's that level on it. There's the level of Kirsten Dunst that never, never came out for her friend and said like, I'm not letting her take the fall for this. It was me. Someone please help me. (laughs) And then it's rebel Wilson giving her the speech that Kirsten Dunst used to give her in the bathroom, which was fuck everyone. Don't care what people think. And there's this sense in that scene that rebel Wilson is taking a little bit more of the power in that relationship. And I would, my hope for these women going out of this movie is that rebel Wilson continues to take that own power and self-assuredness and doesn't put up with shit from Kirsten Dunst anymore. And that I think is the sort of like growth and change I want is I want to see the like power shift of that friendship change Mm -hmm. as rebel Wilson becomes happy, self-assured, like a fulfilled woman. And Kirsten Dunst isn't able to achieve any of that. Right. And I, I think that like Kirsten Dunst, not really growing or changing. I think if she, I think if at the end of the movie, she was like, I really got to look at all of my uh, shit for the last 10 years. You'd be like, this isn't real. Like this isn't, that's not um, how people change. Right. Yeah. And I think there's an extent to which like, even like the other characters in the movie acknowledge, like she is going to continue to be the self-centered person that she is. And so those around her need, to figure out sort of like how they grow past that and assert their own boundaries and happiness and figure their own shit out. And also I like the nuance of she's the one who gets it all together in the end. There's a line that like uh, Rebel Wilson, not Rebel Wilson, Isla Fisher has fully passed out OD'd in the bathroom floor and Kirsten Dunst gets her to throw up and then they call an ambulance and the ambulance and they're like, 
part of me is like, I'm pretty sure they'd still take her to the hospital. <laughs> but for the sake of the movie, I believe it. They like the paramedics are like, she's fine. We don't have to pump her stomach because she already got it all out. And someone's like, that bitch sa- saved her. And I think that's when Lizzie Kaplan is like, that woman is fucked in the head, but she's a good friend. Like there are aspects to the Kirsten Dunn's character that are that like, and again, was she saving Isla Fisher's life because she didn't want her to die on her watch? Maybe, but also because she didn't want a passed out bitch. She says something to one of the other bridesmaids that's like, we're behind the schedule. And she says like, reviving a passed out bitch wasn't on the schedule, but we're rolling with it. Like, I think it's more about like, she has to be the one to take care of everything than genuine compassion, but she is taking care of things. Yeah. And it's just an interesting character trait of like, there's never a moment of like softening of her. It's like, she's doing all these things because being in charge makes her feel important. Yeah. They all look so beautiful in the morning without, after having been up all night done. Absurd. Lizzie Kaplan put it so much cocaine. I should be dead. Yeah. They literally have a baby powder jar filled with cocaine that at one point she gives to a stripper to get Adam Scott out of a pickle that he's in because she stole his wallet. This movie is so good. (laughs) Yeah. Again, like it's sort of like every, every plot point is, is, touch is wrapped up later down the line it's very it's very smart um we get and i had forgotten this an appearance from uh our queen june diane the the podcast mascot june diane rayfield oh god credited as the nice stripper i love credited as the nice stripper i do think this movie came out after brides bride wars so she was already rom-com canon at this point um but yeah, she's a stripper who cleans her, who dries her hands on the wedding dress. Yeah, and cleans her vagina on the And like, cleans her vagina on it. Yeah. She's given herself a little, this is probably not a PC term anymore, but she's given herself a little horse bath. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and she's nice to, she gives Lizzie Kaplan a good, t- Lizzie Kaplan's like, I don't need therapy, I'll just come talk to you. And I want to be like, that's fine if you want to go make friends with a stripper. She seems like a, maybe like a good influence in your life, but I think also a therapist. Right, also maybe therapy. I felt like the psychic in this week's episode of Real Houses of New York doing something we've never seen a psychic on that franchise do is straight up say to the one of the women, I don't think this is enough for you. You need therapy. <laughs> Probably true of all of them. Oh, my God. When this when the psychic tells you to get therapy, Sonia Morgan, it's time. Um, well, it's been time, Sonia. It's been time, Sonia. Um, oh, I also noted there's a scene at the end where Adam Scott tries to sing. And it's how you know he didn't sing for himself in Big Little Lies. Jeff and I were both like, "Can he can't sing? He cannot he sing. sing. Okay. There is a scene and there's a beautiful scene in the first season of Big Little Lies. Because I, I don't acknowledge the second season as canon. But there's where he sings and makes Reese Witherspoon cry. Um, and it's such a good scene. And I was watching it and I was like, this doesn't really sound like him. So I did a little research. It's indeed not. And he... Uh, uh, it went on in interviews and was like, yeah, I can't sing to save my life. Like the man who dubbed me over has a beautiful singing voice. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, in that scene, I was like, he's not, I don't think he's faking this. He can't sing. <laughs> like, yeah. We were like, he either can't sing or he's faking it really well. He can't sing. And you should go watch the first season of big little eyes to see us him beautifully lip syncing. I actually think there's two scenes of him beautifully lip syncing. One's like more funny. And one is right before they spoiler alert, kill a man. Oh, just at the beginning, I think this goes back to like the POV thing, but I think you literally have, um, I think uh, 
Adam Pally is not the person I'm trying to get to. Rannells. Andrew Rannells. Thank you. <laughs> Andrew Rannells um, calls someone the R word. And you have mm-hmm. Kirsten Dunst refer to the wedding planner. Maybe the only person. There are two people of color in this movie. The wedding planner and the uh, hotel like dry cleaner woman. Um, the wedding planner is Asian. And Kirsten Dunst refers to her as Chinatown. And it's all within the first five minutes of this movie. And it's such a good job of this movie setting up that that is the perspective of these characters and the movie is going to comment on them. It's not with some other movies we've seen like another Kirsten, like it's not like in bring it on when they're throwing around the F word left and right, because they think it's funny. We are saying Kirsten Dunst is a shitty character, sometimes a racist character. Right. Um, These are the people we're going to be following. Yeah. I did. I, I heard somebody make an interesting point recently. I believe it was Aida Osman on the Keep It podcast, just so I'm like appropriately crediting where I heard this. I think this is where I heard it was that as important as it is to sort of differentiate, differentiate when a movie like the movie's point of view versus the character's point of view and whether we're punching down and like all of that, like that is important. And in this movie, it is important to recognize that Kirsten Dunst point of view is not the point of view of the movie and the movie is trying to say something specific about her by having those words come out of her mouth but it's also worth acknowledging that that language can't is still very triggering and there is an extent to which like people and particularly people of color like just don't want to hear it like we just like it's just not like you don't we don't need it in movies anyway even if it's like for the purpose of developing a particular character like there's also an extent to which it's just triggering and abusive and we don't need it and I and while I think again like I I I am all about this this movie is I really funny I enjoyed watching it I think it is incredibly well written I think it does a really wonderful job of developing its characters and providing nuance to its characters, but that is not my lived experience. And so I, I want to acknowledge that perspective because it, it was something I hadn't thought about. And I think is really important to sort of sit with. That's a very fair point. I also think, I, I don't know that it's necessary. I don't know mm-hmm. that if we saw Kirsten Dunst berating a wedding planner, and everything else we know about that character, I don't know if we needed the added addition that she also is racist. Like, yeah, like she could have been berating a white wedding planner and or I, even berating an Asian wedding planner without resorting to a slur. Like, she can yeah. be that she was a shitty person before calling her Chinatown. It made right. her an even shittier person, but we got where what we were going for. And so I think that's like a, a fair point and a good one to keep in mind. As, we watch and attempt to create movies is that like right. those things aren't as particularly I think in a movie that is so white and like you said is so about like the experience of these like four white women that's an that's an important thing to keep in mind yeah um yeah I said it's not a rom-com this is a farce it's not a rom-com I okay think the ro- particularly the romance. I think the romantic storylines are um, compelling. Particularly the Lizzie Kaplan Adam Scott storyline, I find particularly compelling and interesting. Um, but it's not a rom com. No, they're it's just, just a plot. It's yeah. just about trying to get a dress fixed. Yeah, they rip it. What are we watching next week? Are we watching a rom com next week? <laughs> 
with Carrie. We watch what we watch. We watch whatever you and I want to watch at any given time. <laughs> Next week we'll be watching um taxi just kidding (laughs) next week we'll we'll be starting our godfather series oh no definitely rom not sure about the com next week we'll be watching in love and basketball oh definitely rom (gasps) not not so sure about the com but we'll find out i bet there's some funny lines yeah um and then in two weeks no in two weeks we'll be watching in love and basketball and then in four weeks I'm very excited and we didn't even plan this. We're going to get to talk more about Enchanted because we're doing Enchanted. <laughs> oh, that'll be fun. More James Marston. A rom-com? Um, who knows? <laughs> yeah. And not Isla Fisher, Amy Adams, but you know. Oh my God, though. Confusing. Yeah. Um, you can find us on Instagram at hold underscore up underscore pod and on Twitter at hold underscore up underscore podcast. And you can also rate, review, subscribe and tell your friends to listen to this show. Bye. Bye.